Welcome to Blue Medicine Journal, a Jungian podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sandra Luz del Castillo, coming to you from out of the blue. With the autumn equinox upon us, I thought I would share a prophecy. Now, on this podcast, we've considered myth, dreams, metaphors, and symbols as the language of the soul. Today, we consider prophecy as the language of the soul. This prophecy is 12 centuries old, and it was given to the Buddhist scholar and system scholar, Joanna Macy. I'll be reading it from her book that she co-wrote with Chris Johnstone, Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In with Unexpected Resilience and Creative Power. As I see it, this prophecy is one of those ways of of um, generating unexpected resilience and creative power. So this is the Shambhala warrior prophecy. And what Joanna Macy says is that the word Shambhala warrior refers to the bodhisattvas, those that are in service to all sentient beings. Okay, so with that, we'll begin the Shambhala warrior prophecy. There comes a time when all life on earth is in danger. At that time, great powers have arisen, barbarian powers. Although they waste their wealth in preparations to annihilate each other, these forces have much in common. Among the things they have in common are weapons of unfathomable destructive power and technologies that lay waste to the world. It is just at this point when the future of all beings hangs by the frailest of threads that the kingdom of Shambhala emerges. Now you cannot go there because it is not a place. It exists in the hearts and minds of the Shambhala warriors. And you can't tell whether someone is a Shambhala warrior just by looking at them, because they wear no uniforms or insignia. They have no banners to show which side they are on, no barricades on which to climb to threaten the enemy or behind which to rest or regroup. The Shambhala warriors don't have any home turf. There is only the terrain of the barbarian powers for them to move on and use. Now the time comes when great courage is required of the Shambhala warriors, moral courage and physical courage. That is because they are going right into the heart of the barbarians' power to dismantle their weapons. Weapons in every sense of the word. And they make their way into the pits and citadels where the armaments are made. So are they also entering the corridors of power where the decisions are made. Now heed this. The Shambhala warriors know these weapons can be dismantled. That is because they are manomaya, meaning mind made. Made by the human mind, they can be unmade by the human mind. 
The dangers facing us are not fashioned by some satanic deity or by an evil extraterrestrial force or by some immutable preordained fate. These dangers are created by our relationships, our habits, our choices. So now is the time, said Chogyal Rinpoche, for the Shambhala warriors to go into training. How do they train, Joanna asked. They train in the use of two implements or tools, he said. And when she, she asked, what are they? He held up his hands the way the lamas hold up the ritual objects, the dorje and bell in the great monastic dances of his people. One, he said, is compassion. The other is insight into the radical interdependence of all things. You need both, he said. You need compassion because it provides the fuel to move you out to where you need to be in order to do what you need to do. It means not being afraid of the suffering of your world. That tool is very hot. By itself, it is so hot, it can burn you out. So you need the other tool, too. The insight that reveals the interbeing of all that is. When that dawns in you, then you know that this is not a battle between good people and bad people but that the line between good and evil runs through the landscape of every human heart. And you know that we are so interwoven in the web of life that even our smallest acts have repercussions that ripple through the web of life beyond our capacity to discern. But that knowing is a kind of cool It can seem at times a bit abstract. That's why it needs the heat of compassion. So this, she tells us, is the essence of the prophecy. She says, if you've watched Tibetan monks or nuns chanting, you've probably seen their hands making gestures or mudras at the same times. Their hands may well be dancing the interplay between compassion and insight, which is there for each of us to embody in our own way. In Jungian depth psychology, we often talk about the as-if. When we read an ancient myth or look at a dream, we ask that question, as if, we consider it in, in those terms, as if. Here, Joanna Macy uses the term, it's a practice, what if. She says, if we're inspired by a story and want to strengthen its impact in our lives, a practice we can use to experiment with the sentence, is with the sentence starter, what if. For example, While recognizing its roots in a culture and time period different from our own, what if this was also a story about us here and now? What if it were a story about you? Here here we note the archetypal because mythologies from all 
over the world. They resonate at that deep place, that the psyche, the depths of our of our soul. And so she says, when we take this approach, the prophecy prompts us to recast our narrative about who we are and what role we are called to play in this time. A Jungian might say it would ask us to 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 look and uh, and question what myth we are living, what's our role in it, what what are we playing in this myth? And there are many myths, and they change with the seasons and the seasons of our lives. And with that, I want to close with a reading from a one of my favorite books of all time that I've read. I believe nine times, maybe ten, by the author Leslie Marmon Silko. She's uh, she began in 1977 what was called the Native American Renaissance. She was a writer from the Native American Renaissance, and her book Ceremony it has been a ceremony for me. It's been probably the deepest medicine, and it reads that way. It reads like a a Southwest. Uh, painting. And she brings myth and poetry and the story of healing together to, to create a ritual in and of itself. And so this is how it begins. Sunrise. Ceremony. I will tell you something about stories, he said. They aren't just entertainment. Don't be fooled. They are all we have, you see, all we have to fight off illness and death. You don't have anything if you don't have the stories. Their evil is mighty, but it can't stand up to our stories. So they try to destroy the stories. Let the stories be confused or forgotten. They would like that. They would be happy, because we would be defenseless then. He rubbed his belly. I keep them here, he said. Here, put your hand on it. See, it is moving. There is life here for the people. And in the belly of this story, the rituals and the ceremony are still growing. What she said the only cure I know is a good ceremony. That's what she said. And so I close with that. And um, for those of you that are like me and, and love ritual art, remember the 22nd is the equinox, time to smudge your homes, set your altars and your intentions for yourself, for your family, your community, for our planet, for our human family and more than human family. Time to ask forgiveness too, for our poor choices and for guidance as we make our way through this night sea journey, ask for some good sea legs and some strong earth legs to, to ground us. Let us find home in our heart and soul. So be it. Ache. Ache.